First Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. We'll read this portion of scripture and then I want to go into what it means to live to fulfill God's will. First Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So as he has in previous passages, Peter points to Jesus as our example regarding suffering, particularly when you suffer for doing good. And in this passage, Peter refers to suffering in the body for doing good as a witness that you have renounced sin. So that because you have renounced sin, you may suffer in your body, he says. And when, when we say that, we're saying we are done with sin. That doesn't mean you don't sin, but that you are making a commitment. You're saying, I'm not going to go back to this sin that I used to commit. I'm not going to go back to this way of living. I will live instead in this way for God. And he's tying, Peter is tying in what we read in 1 Peter chapter 3 to declare that when we turn from our wicked ways, when we repent, when we are cleansed from our willful sin, when we are baptized as the pledge of a clear conscience, and yet suffer in the body, we are encouraged then to arm ourselves, to stand strong, to have the same attitude, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who suffered in the body, who was tempted in every way, and yet without sin. And then Peter goes on in these next few verses to expound on this charge so that we would have the right attitude about life and death and sin and suffering. And so in verses 1 and 2 of what we read of this, from this passage, he describes how the reborn, those who have been born again, those who have died to self and have been raised up to new life in Christ Jesus, he goes through in verses 1 and 2 how those people are to live in the present. How are we to live in the present? In verses 3 and 5, he describes what will happen to those who turn away from God. Instead of turning away from their sin, they have turned away from God. And he says, this is what will happen to them. And then in verse 6, he describes what God's 
positive purpose was in preaching, in proclaiming the gospel message. So that's what he's laying out in these few verses. And just as we have seen in previous passages where Peter is going through these kinds of truths, these inspired by the Holy Spirit truths that are necessary for our lives, there are some important contrasts in this passage for us to pay attention to. And in this case, there are three contrasts between the flesh versus the spirit, between human desires versus God's will, and the time that is past versus the time that is left. And so, flesh versus spirit. The conflict between our flesh and the spirit, both the Holy Spirit and our regenerated spirit, it's when, when the Bible says between our flesh and the spirit, it's, it's speaking of both the Holy Spirit's work in us and the response of our regenerated spirit within us. When we are born again, that we would say our spirit has been made new. So he says the conflict between our flesh and our spirit is the, that there is a contrast and there is a distinction between them. And that contrast between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit is a recurring theme in the word of God. We see that multiple times in the word of God. What does it mean for the flesh and the spirit to be in conflict or to be waging war against each other? We've encountered that. We've talked about that. And then we have looked in or seen in multiple scriptures, including in Romans chapter 1, Colossians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 5, what the works of the flesh are or what the works of the sinful nature are and how those are in conflict with the spirit. But the important takeaway from all those scriptures is that we would recognize or discern that conflict. That first and foremost we would say, I see that this is happening. There's a war that's being waged. Because if we simply are unaware of that, we will give in to everything. Any kind of temptation, any kind of wind that blows, anything that comes against us or comes into our lives without discerning what it is will simply be led astray by it. And so the first part of that, that what we learn from the scriptures is to recognize or discern this conflict that happens. The second is that we would depend on the Holy Spirit to address that conflict. And then we would commit, we would commit to crucify, to put to death our sinful nature, the passion, the passions and desires of our sinful nature, the flesh. We would commit to crucify that and then we would allow Christ to live in us so that we live for the Lord and not ourselves. These are the takeaways that we would get when we look and consider how the Bible describes this conflict of the flesh and the spirit. And clearly that first step of discernment is vitally important since if we remain ignorant of our sins, if we have a blind spot to our own shortcomings, if we don't realize that we have broken fellowship with the Lord, we will not be quick to repent and we will not desire the restoration of relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. If we don't know that we are lost, we won't respond to the shepherd who comes seeking for the lost. Because we'll say, I'm okay. I'm fine. And when the shepherd comes, having left everyone else and comes looking for you, you'll say, I don't need you. 
But when we discern, when we realize that there is this giving in to the sinful nature, that we have been breaking fellowship with the Lord, that we are indeed lost, then we are quick to repent. And we want that restoration of relationship with a loving Heavenly Father who is grieved by our separation with Him. He's not angry with us. This is one of the things we were talking about when we were praying through Psalm 103. It's not God saying, oh, you terrible people. He comes after us because he grieves for us. He cares about the lost. His compassion drives him to come after us and to restore us to himself. So then the question becomes, how do we recognize this conflict? How do we know that there's this thing going on in us that is waging war or that we're giving into that or that we're not walking with the Lord or that we're not being obedient to him? How do we do that? Well, as in the men's fellowship yesterday, we were talking about checklists. And if you have a checklist for your sinful nature, you say, you know, smoking, drinking, this thing, that thing, you know, and you have a checklist, something, something, you know, whatever you think is on that checklist, you come up with a checklist. You know what will happen? You're bound to miss something. You know why? Our sinful nature is very creative. It finds ways to indulge desires and passions. Our sinful nature will always find a way around the rule. Our sinful nature will always find out how to go after the exception that's not on the checklist. So if you have a list that you say, look at this, I've done this, 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 I didn't do this, this, and this, I'm good. Guess what? Your sinful nature says, that's exactly where I want you to be. Because now we become blind to what we are indulging in. We don't pay attention to it because we look at this measure and we say, I'm okay. Look, look at this. And look at that person. They're not doing that. So I'm okay. We indulge without true discernment because we're measuring not by God's standards, but by our standards. And here's the other thing that happens. If we have checklists and all these things that we would sort of measure ourselves by, we become like the Pharisees who said, Look at me, I'm better than you. Look at me, I'm not a sinner like you. Look at me, I do everything that the Lord commanded. And Jesus had his harshest criticism for those people. He said, you are whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside you. He had his harshest words for people who lived like that. And so the question that is coming to us to say, how do you discern this? How do you live without giving way to the sinful nature? How do you recognize what is happening in your own self? There has to be an external, absolute standard rather than us measuring ourselves by ourselves. There has to be the standard of God that says, this is true. This is right. This is the measuring stick. This is the plumb line. By that you know whether you're true or not. Not by what you think. And so that becomes a very important consideration. Now, you may be familiar with John and Charles Wesley. They were two of the most notable evangelists of the 18th century. John Wesley is mostly known for his sermons and teaching and so on. His brother Charles Wesley is mostly known for his hymns. We, we, we sing a lot of Charles Wesley's hymns even now. 
And their mother, Susanna Wesley, bore 19 children, 10 of whom survived past infancy. And she is credited with having had a significant impact in the lives of her children, including John and Charles Wesley. And they, they, they point to the fact that in the home, she didn't do anything else as such. She was just a homemaker, mother. But through her teaching, through her example, and through the circumstances of their home life, these two men just grew in the Lord and ultimately ended up impacting whole continents in Europe, in America. John and Charles Wesley had massive impacts for the gospel. Here's Susanna Wesley's advice to her son John about discerning the works of the flesh. She said, whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. Very straightforward. Which brings us to the second contrast between human desires and God's will. We've talked about this and we've learned about this, you know, and this idea that the works of the flesh, what we indulge in, in terms of the acts of the flesh, it doesn't begin primarily because of someone forcing you or someone tempting you or something else. Works of the flesh begin with our own desires. We desire something. We desire some pleasure. We desire power. We desire recognition. We desire some, some wealth for whatever reasons. We desire something. It's an intense longing. And we are then willing to go do whatever we can to get that. And so what happens is that these longings, these desires of the heart cause us to then pursue those things with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. And as soon as I say that, it should be recognizable to you that that's exactly what the Lord says that we have to do and commit to him. So what we should have committed to the Lord, that we would praise the Lord with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strengths, that we would pursue the things of God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strengths, that we would give him first priority, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All those things that are charges for us to be orienting ourselves in the way of God, when we've taken those things and we give it to our desires, guess what? We're not pursuing God anymore. And we will justify our desires, right? We'll say, I need to work. I need to do this. I need to go after this. I need to have some enjoyment. I need to do these things. I need to interact with these people. I need to have some, you know, fun. Whatever. By the way, there's nothing wrong in having fun or having pleasure or meeting with people or doing anything else. What I'm pointing out to you, and this, this is what Susanna Wesley was saying to her children, when those things start to take priority, when they 
are higher. They are a higher pursuit for you than your pursuit of God. You are opening yourself up. You are making yourself vulnerable to indulge the flesh, to go into the acts of the flesh. And so he's pointing out, and the word of God is pointing out, that our human desires, our longings, our thoughts and worldviews, these thoughts, these desires give birth to sin. And then sin gives birth to death. It doesn't start there. We don't just go from being godly to ungodly, you know, instantaneously. We give in to a desire. We, give, we allow a thought to continue to captivate our minds. We allow a thought to direct our actions. And then those actions, those continued ways of thinking lead us into sin, into willful disobedience, into going against the will of God. And so the Bible points us to this and to say we can only, we can only put to death and crucify our sinful nature by willful and deliberate action to take captive the ungodly thoughts and allow the Holy Spirit's free reign of godly truths. That's the only way we can deal with it. We talked about this some weeks, weeks ago. You can't, you can't cast out the sinful nature, right? You can't rebuke the sinful nature. It's you. You can't separate yourself from yourself. The only thing you can do is die. You have to crucify the sinful nature. You have to put to death the sinful nature. You can't run away from it and you can't rebuke it. You have to deal with it directly. And for each person that looks different. The, the sinful nature that rears up the priorities of my sinful nature the priorities of my sinful desires are going to be different from the priorities of your sinful nature. So I can't say to you, well, do this. There is no method. There is no formula. I can't say to you, you know, pray these five prayers. You know, do these six things. Read these six, you know, ten verses. And then you'll be okay. No. You have to say, Lord God, you show me. Holy Spirit, you show me what I need to do specifically. And what you tell me to do, what you show me to do, I'll be quick to obey. That's the commitment we make. Which brings us to this point about time. Because time that is past versus time that is left is the contrast, or is the, is the other distinction that Peter is bringing up. Now, in our fasting and prayer meetings, we've been going through Psalm 103, and in verses 14 through 16 of Psalm 103, it reminds us how fragile our human existence on earth is. The Bible says that the Lord knows how we are formed, that we are dust. And then it says that our lives here on earth are like grass. Like a flower of the field, the wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. So we think we're doing something great on this earth. Right? We're, we're like, oh, achieving all sorts of stuff. The Bible says, look, you've, you're living a very fragile life. And you're living a very temporary life on this earth. Don't be all fixated on that. But rather... Pay attention to the time that is there. 
in the recent past, and you know, even in Men's Fellowship yesterday, we were talking about this this span of time and this idea that you know, when you when you really map out all of the time of your life. So let's say that you're going to live for a hundred years. Just go ahead and put that on the chart somewhere, you know, and just put down all the possible days that will show up in a hundred years, and you've probably lived a third of it, you know, maybe more, maybe less, right? But whatever it may be. Look at that, that block of time, that time that is available to you, and ask the question, is what I'm doing for this period of time, the time that is left, the time that is remaining, is it the right set of things that I need to be doing? Now again, I, I, you, may, you may have into that time that is before you all sorts of things that are not it is sort of the spiritual things, right? And that's, that's, not, my, that's not my point. Watch, watch the, you know, Super Bowl will come up in a few weeks' time and you're going to watch the Super Bowl, watch the Super Bowl. If you're going to watch a soccer match or a cricket match, watch it. That's not the point I'm trying to make to you. What I'm saying to you is, do you prioritize the time that is remaining whether it is a day, a year, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years left in your life, do you prioritize that time to say, Lord God, this is for you. This is for you. We have to be attuned to how we spend our time on earth. And the very important thing, and here in this passage, Peter makes this reference to God having preached the gospel message. And because of that, he talks about what the impact of that is, and that's where we will end today. But I want to come back to that point that he makes. Because the gospel message, if you think you know it, just go back and hold on to it again and look at it afresh and think about it again. Because the gospel message is that pivotal point in all of history, the time that has been passed and the time that remains. Because it doesn't matter that Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago. As far as you're concerned, there is one pivotal point in your life. The time that is passed before you came to know Jesus and the time that remains after you came to know Jesus. That's it. And so for all of history, for all of history, eternity past, and for all of history that is to come, eternity future, there is that pivotal point in which the Lord fulfilled the gospel, that good news that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we may be saved. That whoever believes in him, whoever accepts him, whoever will commit to live by those principles and those truths and that receive that sacrifice that was made on their behalf, whoever does that, that's where the difference takes place. And the definition or the meaningfulness of time comes into play or becomes relevant only in light of the gospel. Nothing else. Otherwise, as the world says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Do whatever you want. 
Enjoy it to the best that you can. But because Jesus came, because God proclaimed the gospel, because Jesus did all that he did on the cross, time now is different for us. And so when Peter says, don't live as you did in the past. Don't live as, as you were indulging your flesh and your desires as you did in the past. He's not pointing to anything else other than the fact that because of what Jesus has done, your future needs to look different. Our present needs to look different. As one commentator puts it, the gospel separates the wicked past from the godly and penitent present. The gospel is the high-speed lift elevator out of the flesh, the sinful world, up to the world of the spirit, God's holy presence. The gospel is what changes everything. We could have struggled in our own flesh and tried in our own strength to try to come to God. We would not have been able to. But because God initiated this work, this redeeming work, because of the gospel, we are now able to be translated from our sinful nature to God's presence, to the realm of the spirit, to the life in the spirit. And here's the wonderful blessing of being adopted into the family of God as the children of God. When we come into the presence of God, when we accept what Jesus has done, when we are born again, when we are saved, when the gospel message is heard, received, and takes root in us, that seed that has fallen into good soil that now starts to bear good fruit, when that happens, even if our past was filled with reckless living, our Father who holds all of time in His hands, who knows the end from the beginning, enables us to redeem our time and to live for Him so that it is no longer our past that defines us, but rather it is our present and our future that blesses us. You see, the Lord separates our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that the Lord casts our sins in the ocean. And the Bible says that the Lord remembers our sins no more. If that's what the Lord does for us, then we don't have to rehearse our reckless past. I don't have to stand here and say anything about it. You don't have to condemn yourself. You don't have to say, well, I used to run in these ways. I used to do these things. I was far from God. I failed him. I, you know, disappointed him. No. The moment that you've come to the Lord and you have received him and you have been saved, then the Lord separates your sins away from you. He cleanses you. He renews you. He draws you to himself. That's the wonderful joy that we have in the Holy Spirit. That's the wonderful joy that we have as children of God. We're not being condemned. We're not being judged. We're being set free. And so because of that, because our past is not what defines us, but rather it is our relationship with the Lord. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. It doesn't matter even if it was as recent as yesterday or this morning. Something that you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. We should be people who are quick to go to the Lord to repent. 
and to say, Lord God, because you have called me your own, because you've made me your child, because of the gospel message, thank you that my past doesn't hold me. Thank you that my past doesn't define me. Thank you that because I'm in you, I have been made alive in Christ Jesus. It matters only that the rest of your days, you would live according to God in regard, in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And that's our point of application this morning. That we would respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by living according to God in regard to the Spirit. That's what he ends this passage with. That's what Peter says. That, he, that you would live your life in this way. Because you understand these statements. Because you understand these truths. Because you know that time is short. Because you number your days. Because you are living as for the Lord and not for your sinful nature. Then you would live according to the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. We've gone through multiple scriptures on this, but in this particular passage, as we consider how we can respond and apply, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, and then in verse 6, in just in this passage, verse 2 states that we must live the rest of our earthly lives to fulfill the will of God and not indulge our desires. That means that there is a desire on our part to know the will of God. There is a desire on our part to obey the will of God when he reveals it to us. There is a desire on our part to persevere in obeying the will of God. Because when you start to obey the will of God, it will not be easy. And there will be all sorts of reasons to stop, to give up. And to say, I tried this, but it's too tough. But rather to say, Lord, I will persevere and I will continue in this. And it is our desire to finish what the Lord is doing in us, to run to the end, to persevere till the end, so that we would be joined with the Lord in eternity, where he would say to us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the commendation that we're looking for. That's the praise that we need. That's the, uh, the result, the outcome that we are going after, that we would live our earthly lives to fulfill the will of God and not indulge in our own desires. And then verse 6 makes it clear that we can live according to the will of God only when we are led by and live according to the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a, sta this is a statement that we have gone through in multiple other passages and even in the recent past as we've considered what does it mean to live by the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for us to pay attention to this person of God himself that is that was promised to indwell us so that the voice that you hear, that clear conscience that you would have, that the reminder of what Jesus has already told us comes to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. This is not something vague. This is not something distant. This is not something that we cannot receive. Every one of us as children of God have this privilege to receive and to hear from the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing mystical about that. There's nothing so complicated about that. It's simply saying, Lord God, this is what you have promised. Now speak. Now lead. Now let me know. And the Lord will do it. The Lord is faithful to lead and to guide us in the ways that we should go so that we may live according to his will. Why would he give us? Why would he say, I want you to live according to my will and then not equip us, not empower us, not speak to us? Why would he do that? He's not setting us up for failure. 
He's not saying, I want you to you know, turn away from all of your sinful nature and I want you to walk in my ways, but I'll, I won't show you the way. I want you to walk in my ways, but I'm going to put all sorts of obstacles there. I want you to walk in my ways, but I'm not going to encourage you. No. The Lord says, I will do everything that I can to build you up and to hold you in so that you can finish the race. That's the promise of the Lord. So if we have that promise, if we know that this is what the Lord intends for us, then our commitment, our response to the Lord is to live our lives to fulfill God's will. Many times we live our lives to fulfill our will. Sometimes we live our lives to fulfill somebody else's will. We live our lives because this is what the world expects of us. We live our lives in all sorts of different ways for all sorts of different reasons and motivations. But this morning, my challenge to you, my challenge to all of us collectively, is are we living our lives to fulfill God's will? That's what it's, the Bible says. That's what Peter starts out in this passage with. That we would no longer live for the, all the other things, but we would live to fulfill God's will. You know what? God's will for us is perfect. God's will for us will be fulfilling in every area. It'll be satisfying. We're going to come very quickly into verses that talk about contentment and we'll, we'll deal with that at that time. But I want to encourage you. You will never regret following God's will. You'll never regret obeying God. You'll never have a situation where you say, well, I did all these things and I helped people. I, you know, I lived a good life. I was blessed. Mm, but I don't know. You'll only have joy. You'll only have a good testimony. You'll only see the fruit of what is born and you will see that the Lord has been good. That's the promise of the Lord. So this morning, let's commit. Let's respond. Let's say, Lord God, I want to live in regard to my flesh, in regard to what I'm doing in this earth. There is a death, there is a suffering, there's all sorts of things. I will live in these ways with regard to my flesh. But as far as what you have asked me to do, I will live in according to your will with regard to the Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you care so deeply for us that you give us life and you give it to us abundantly. Thank you, Lord, for these words. Thank you, Lord, for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to remind us of your truths so that, Father, we would not be living according to the flesh, but rather we would be living according to the Spirit. We would not be indulging human desires, but rather we would be living in obedience to your will. And Lord, we would not be living either bound by the past or living according to the past or, Lord, continuing in the past ways of our lives. But instead, having come now to the Lord Jesus, we will live the rest of our days faithful to you alone. Come, Lord Jesus, and do this great work in us, in each one of us, Lord, so that we may stand before your throne, that, Lord, you who judge the living and the dead, Lord, you who know what is there to be done, Lord God, you will see us as righteous in your presence because we are found in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
that every person, Lord, every person here and those who listen to this, those who are online, every single person, Lord, let us examine our lives. Let us, Lord, look to you and ask ourselves whether we have truly responded to the gospel message. And Lord, if we have, I pray that you alone, by your promise, by your goodness, Lord, by your love, will sustain us to live out the gospel message for the rest of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.